Welcome to the Thought Leader Podcast. I thought I'd give it a little more emphasis today, or maybe I should say the Thought Leader Podcast. And today we're talking about leverage and funerals and, well, what else? Well, don't, don't, don't spoil all the good stuff. I mean, the f- funerals. I mean, yeah, that's, that's- we, we, well, we traveled all the way to New York to speak to Peter Winnick, who... Well, he really is kind of a thought leader and he doesn't like to call himself that. So so there's an interesting thing is, oh, well, I'm, I'm Dr. Ken. And I'm Randy Baker, and we forgot to introduce ourselves today. So thought leaders, so, you know, it's got scare quotes around it a lot of the times, like, oh, he's a thought leader, a so-called thought leader. But it's a legitimate title, and it's a really neat term, I think, if you really think about it. And Peter is kind of like the thought leader behind thought leaders. Yeah, so... Well, it's such a wide-ranging interview today. We talk about 22-year-old life coaches. We talk about experience. We talk about Winston Churchill, even. So Bobbleheads? That's bobbleheads. The start of it. Yeah. Uh, do those two go together? We'll have to find out. Why don't you listen to the interview and let's find out what the connections are. All right. Nice to see you, Peter. I, I have to start out here, as I usually do, by kind of inquiring about your background, your literal background, because people are listening, not watching. So you got it. You got bobble. Are those bobbleheads? Are they? Those are bobbleheads. Yes. Okay. So describe the, the the row of bobbleheads. Okay. So the the backstory on the bobbleheads is on the far. I don't know if I can do this mirror one. On the left is you see Ted from Ted the movie. Yep. You see that little guy? So that came, so this is what started that. So a friend of mine years ago when Ted the movie came out, which was basically a stoner flick about a teddy bear, if we all remember. It's a pretty bad movie, right? Oh, I kind of liked it. But, but anyway, okay. my friend said to me, hey, I saw this new movie, Ted, and I don't get it because you're always telling me you're watching these TED Talks, and it seemed like a stupid stoner flick. So I'm like, A, you're an idiot. B, that's really funny. And then I have to see the movie. So then I got, you know, he got me the doll, et cetera, et cetera. So then I've just added to the collection over the years. It's got uh, Churchill, Einstein, Ben Franklin. Who else is up there? Ulysses S. Grant, Edison. Can't see who else. Uh, Mark Twain. I'm just, you know, fits nicely on the bookshelf. Love that. And the lovely porcelain dog? Where's that? Oh, uh, you can over, see, yeah, over there? Yeah. Yes. No, I, that's, uh, I have a Frenchie. Nice. That's a French a, a statue in, in uh, for my my puppy. Love it. So, besides turning your dog into a statue with your magical powers, what does thought <laughs> leadership? What does thought right. leadership mean to you? Yeah. So, I think that's a good question because I get asked all the time for how do you define it? What does it mean? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So, I think that the problem is if you and I can't, we're going to have a meeting about lunch. We kind of know what we're talking about. It's the meal in the middle of the day. Maybe it's light. Maybe it's heavy, whatever, whatever. It's usually not eggs, right? It's usually not a nine-course meal with wine. So we at least have a grounding. When we have conversations around thought leadership, I think people, either they're embarrassed or whatever it is, don't say, well, what do you mean by that, Kent? Because I mean this. And what do you mean by that, Randy? Because I mean that. So there's a lot of noise out there and people talking over each other, not with each other. So how I think about thought leadership is number one, thought. 
right? That's one of the words in there. So are you producing something that is really thoughtful or are you just repeating or parroting or, or regurgitating others' ideas? Or, you know, it, it's not about copying and pasting. It's about putting in the reps and the effort to actually be thoughtful and add to a, a conversation. The other side of it, and you have to have both, in my humble opinion, is leadership. Do you have the courage to take this conversation into a new direction, uh, a different direction, maybe a controversial direction, et cetera? And when you combine the two, and others actually take you somewhat seriously, right? Because you know, no one would care about my opinion on dentistry or, or, or architecture because I have no expertise there. But in the areas that you practice, in the areas that you have domain expertise, are you being thoughtful and are you leading that conversation into new, different, better ways? And, it, and, and new and different doesn't need to be radically, you know, the earth is flat, the earth is round. It could be an incremental change in the common thinking on leadership, management, agility, whatever, whatever the area is. So, so, so you, I want to probe a little bit on the, the dentistry and the architecture because we all look people in the teeth and make judgments. We all look at architecture. We have our preferences. We have the feng shui of whatever we grew up with or what right, we like. Right. So I'm curious what the difference is between preferences or what you love, what you understand, and how you perceive the world. What's the difference between, because I do have thoughts about dentistry, like, you know, should people whiten their teeth or not? You know, should they get those? Well, you know, and, and I guess are, my point is if, if there were two pieces of thought leadership out there, one by you that had an opinion on dentistry, but other than having teeth, why would I care what you have to say with all due respect? And another by, you know, someone that's been practicing dentistry for 28 years and came up with a new innovative piece, which one am I going to pay more attention to? It doesn't mean you can't have an opinion. So if you're a 22-year-old from the UK who wants to be an influencer, you would like the dentist's thought leadership in Thailand who like sort of uh, polishes your teeth down to little nubs so you can get really nice <laughs> veneers over the top? So what makes the difference between, you know, thought leadership to its audience, right? So, well, to its audience is, is, I think there's a couple of different things. Where is it coming from? Who's broadcasting it? Why does it matter to me? What is interesting about it? How does it alleviate an issue that I have or help me do something that either I'm stuck with or curious about or passionate about, et cetera? That, that's how I would think about it. Because listen, everybody can have an opinion on everything and that's why the internet exists and they often do. But we're living in an age where there's so much noise, you know, and not enough signal. And I think thought leadership is about the signal. Because listen, you, you and I can sit around and have a couple of beers and talk about lots and lots of things. Who cares? <laughs> so Peter, where does, uh, where does authenticity fit into thought leadership? Because we have a, an awful lot of people in the expert industries, predominantly coaches, who consider themselves and even speak of themselves as thought leaders. <laughs> So, but they're not necessarily authentic. They're basically telling us what right. other people have told them to tell us. So well, let me try that a couple of different ways. And uh, Randy, I, I think number one, anybody that calls themselves a thought leader is an absolute jerk, period, full stop, right? It is something that is bestowed on you by others in a space out of, out of respect, right? Out of, out of recognition, out of acknowledgement. Somebody going out there going, look at me, look at me, I'm a thought leader. Really? It's like someone standing up in a family's home saying, I am the leader of this household. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. I mean, so anybody declaring it, I mean, I, I'm, I'm quite suspicious of, right? So I think, you know, back, but back to your original point on authenticity, I think it's an underlying pillar of thought leadership. I mean, listen, I, you can create a persona and, and some of these folks 
online, not naming names, are, are, are basically caricatures. Those are not people that exist in the real world, right? They've created this, you know, almost the Borat of themselves of thought leadership, which might be believable in the right context. It might actually be funny. It might actually be entertaining and engaging, but that's not a real person. If you caricature yourself and you become that sort of branded bobblehead, the, oh, he's the guy that does this and that. So, so what's the difference? So thought leadership is lampooned a little bit, right? So if, oh, you're a thought leader. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thought leadership. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that's, you know, it's interesting. So when I started the company 13 plus years ago, the word that irritated me was guru, right? And so, so I named the company Thought Leadership Leverage. Now, this is 13 years ago, right? Now, you know, has it jumped the shark? Is it, you know, that, that you're, you know, everybody and their mother's a thought leader? They could claim that they are. And I think that things run in trend and cycles. But, you know, I could claim I'm, you know, a, a world-class and Olympian. It doesn't mean it's so. And I think that's the other piece is that people, you know, does anybody hire a 22-year-old life coach? Like, there are certain things that just don't make sense to me. Like, I think you need a little bit of, life first before you life coach others so people do so so interesting thing about that is a 22 year old often hires a 22 year old life coach that's the funny thing about it because the this sort of i don't know wind chamber of Mm -hmm. the instagram i don't know illuminati right so it's like (laughs) oh that guy you know uh, he'll tell me that the ways the world you know one of my employees once tattooed on her hands like tattooed on her fingers do it scared you know like like just do it but mm-hmm. you know like jump off cliffs and do it do it scared she learned that from some other 20 year old that did the same thing right so is thought leadership the way that you built it i mean people trying to change the world in a certain way because it feels like that's part of the equation right it's people who want to have a big impact well i think that's a subset so why do people practice the thought leadership that they do so we have clients that come from multiple domains, right? I have authors, CEOs, speakers, consultants, advisors, academics. So one is, you know, it could be curiosity. Like, hey, I, you know, in many instances, someone's area of expertise relative to thought leadership is actually, you know, could be a byproduct of a therapy session or a life of therapy sessions, right? It's something that they're they've personally struggled with. It could be something they're passionate about. It could be something they've researched. It could be a way that they see the world that they strongly believe if more people saw the world this way through this lens of thought leadership, things would be better. So I think it's, you know, there's not a one size fits all. And I think it's not about, you know, this is so different than influencers, right? And Instagram. And if I, you know, if I'm an influencer on Instagram and wear this pocketbook or whatever, that's going to get a zillion other people that, worship me to use this pocketbook or wallet or whatever the heck it is. Like, that's not what this is about. The spreading of ideas for the sake of change and getting people to embrace and think and see the world a bit differently, I think is primary, is the primary focus. So now I'm a bit interested in the, in the third word in your, in your business name, leverage. Because if thought leadership is not about getting people to do something instead of impact, if it's more about impact than getting people to buy something, how does leverage fit into it? And well, they're not mutually exclusive. So, so the leverage piece, getting people to do something and, and running a successful business whose core asset is the intellectual property and the thought leadership, they're not mutually exclusive. And far too often what happens is somebody might have, you know, there's a continuum, life isn't fair. And I call it snake to sizzle, 
there are thought leaders that heavy on the stake, like they've got the meat, they've got it, they've got it, they've got it, but nobody else has heard about it, right? So it's, it, it lives and dies on their hard drive or in their brain or in, or in their book that sold seven copies. Then on the other end of the continuum, there's folks that are all sizzle. You know, they bring out that, that greasy, sizzly steak and you're like, okay, let, let, let's let the sizzle stop and there's no steak there. So the trick is for the steak people, we deal with more steak people adding a little bit of sizzle to get the attention because the sizzle people are kind of hopeless. Like if there's nothing under the hood, there's nothing under the hood. That's not where we play. We're trying to get folks that actually have something interesting, amazing, validated. If I'm going to claim to be a thought leadership on influence or negotiation or, or resilience, it better work, right? You know, and that's really the gist of it versus, you know, the infomercial version of thought leadership of, oh, you know, here's the three steps to an easy life. Well, there aren't three steps to an easy life. <laughs> so you've been cutting through the sizzle for a long time. It's a hard thing to cut through because the sizzle is the nice part, right? The No, I think it's an easy thing to cut through, actually. I think the sizzle is, is I think the market's gotten really smart. If you put a greasy sizzling steak in front of me versus an amazing porterhouse that should cost $150, I'm going to know really quickly in, in reality, like on the marketing side, you know, the commercial or the visual, the representation of that greasy, disgusting steak might really be great and get me in the door. But you put that in front of me, I'm going to tell, you know, sort of be able to tell dog food from prime cut really quickly. And I think that's really the world that we're living in now. That reminds me of Paul Newman. The last time I remember, see I remember seeing him on, uh, on TV, he was on was it Jay Leno or something. Right. And he, he ate his own dog food. Out of the right, can, literally. right, the Newman's yeah, yeah. own dog food. He's like, listen, yeah. I'm I'm eating this stuff. It's that good, and that's that's that idea of you know this is it's quality even if it's for our dogs. Well, because our dogs are our family members, just right. like your porcelain dog there. Yeah. Right, right. So if the marketing is where the sizzle is, and that gets you through the door, how do we as ordinary humans identify what to expect when we walk through that door? I mean, once it's delivered, we know it's really bad, but how can we avoid getting there in the first place? Because we get taken in by the sizzle. Is there a way to recognize those people that are, are all sizzle and no steak? Yeah, well, I think the sizzle, you know, plays to the emotion, plays to the impulse, plays to the, you know, there's something about the sizzle. So again, using the, the steak analogy, you can smell it, right? You could hear it. It's lighting up the senses, right? You wouldn't know until you put the, piece in your mouth that this is garbage, right? Like, oh, you need the validation. So, you know, how do you cut through that? I think you take a look and say, hmm, being, I don't want to say overly skeptical, but a little bit of skepticism is wise. Why should I listen to this person? Why do they, why do they have a right to be speaking about this? What have they done to accomplish this? Like, you know, there are folks out in the space that are, you know, speak about entrepreneurialism that have never started a business. There are folks, that, folks out there speaking about leadership that have never led anything. There's folks out there speaking about, you know, innovation that have never innovated. Like, okay, well, that would be a little bit of a sign to me, you know, like, uh, you know, if, if, if you went to a program on, uh, you know, found somebody that was going to be your health and wellness coach and you signed up and then you got on a zoom call with them and they're 60 pounds overweight and smoking and a martini's on their desk, I'm going to feel a little funny. So I think you have to look for what are the cues? What would be the, now that's an obvious cue. But what would be the cues of the, the, the cigarette, the martini, and, and the 60-pound overweight wellness coach? Yeah, it's kind of like the 22-year-old life coach. <laughs> yeah, or, or and we don't do anything in the B2C space, but there are lots and lots of folks in the B2C space on love and romance, 
that are on marriage seven. You know, like mm-hmm. that's yeah. a little bit of a yeah, red flag. It's a bit of a sign. Yeah. Speaking of authenticity, I'm actually wondering where did you have your first steak? Where did I have my first? I have no idea. I'm probably in my house as a child. I I don't. What was the magic of the steak in your house when you were a kid? What was was there any? Was it special? Was it good? No, my mother was an awful cook. Thank God for ketchup. Like (laughs) (laughs) okay, steak with ketchup. Yeah, everything with ketchup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, Uh, and you know, as a kid, were you sort of musing off in the corner, sort of thinking about the thought leadership of the other kids, or dreaming about becoming a? a uh, ketchup salesman or what was your childhood uh, imagination? Oh, that's pretty funny. Um, I don't think I was musing in the corner thinking about thought leadership. I've actually just had a conversation with someone earlier today and, 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 and it, it came from a question they asked me about, well, when do you think you'll know your sort of the mission's accomplished? I'm like, okay, here's how I'll know. So Halloween comes, my doorbell rings, I open the door, there's three firemen, a cop, a couple Disney characters and this other thing, this other thing and I can't figure out. And I asked the kid, what are you? And they'll tell me with the pocket protector and the glasses and the pipe or whatever. I'm a thought leader. Then I'll know I'm done. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So the, so the, as a kid, you were hoping that someday you would have a pocket protector and really thick glasses. No, I had the glasses. No, I, I mean, as a kid, I was always, I would say curious. I would say, depending on how far back we go, entrepreneurial, I would say, you know, today we might call it thinking out of the box. Then they might call it, you know, pain in the ass. You know? <laughs> what did your folks do? My father was uh, entrepreneurial and my mother was uh, secretary. And the entrepreneurial dad, what kind of entrepreneurship? He owned a uh, limousine service here in New York. No way. No self-made. Wow. So does he have blue-collar guy. stories? Stories of folks he drove? Well, he had, yeah. Back in the day, yes. yes. Uh, that's really interesting. So so part of, so that I find that interesting because you you have no fear of working with folks who have big egos. So maybe you inherited fear, no. that. <laughs> you inherited that yeah. from your dad in a way, right? He could just sit with anybody. Yeah, potentially. I mean, I remember somebody once asked me. Uh, actually, actually, Randy, you might appreciate this. A Brit, a, a Brit, like, well, so how many personalities do you work with? And I said, well, currently we have fifteen clients. That's about thirty-seven personalities. <laughs> I think I actually misunderstood the questions. <laughs> Yeah, if I was a Brit, I probably would understand that, but I'm Australian, so ah, okay. I, I, I'm dumber than Brit, so that, that's just went over my head. Totally okay. missed it. Is Australia colony. one of the British Isles, Randy? It's part of the Commonwealth. So. Commonwealth, part of the Commonwealth. <laughs> but it's one of the bigger Isles in the Commonwealth. Yeah, that Australia and Canada, those are the, those are the two big ones, right? Yeah, that's, well, <laughs> yeah. This, well, the sun now sets on the British Empire, so what comes It does. It never used to. So right. things right. change. So out of the awkward ashes of – no, I'm kidding. So, <laughs> Peter. <laughs> of offending the Australian, yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love it, actually. So so there's so going back to steak, I feel like I have to because this is just too good an analogy. When I was a cook for a couple of years when I was a lot younger – People would always come up to me and say, hey, why does this steak taste so good? I said, oh, I have no idea. But the actual trick was rubbing butter into the steak. I'm a vegetarian now, but I know how to make a good steak. So I'm curious, in, in your metaphor with the sizzle and all that, you've got a great steak, but what's the rubbing in of butter? What's that part? I would say, actually, it, it, from a thought leadership perspective, if you need to rub in the butter, it ain't a great steak. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's actually a hack of mediocre steakhouses like Ruth Chris, but so so be it. <laughs> nice. 
Is she listening? Is she alive? That. Sorry to, is she British? <laughs> Maybe she's Australian. I don't, I don't know. So what about the role of humor in your work? Because um, I can the sort of dry sense of humor you have and the way we're kind of going back and forth. Randy and I have this, you have this. What, what role does rumor, uh, rumor, wow, humor and rumor play in your work with clients? Well, I mean, I think that's a style thing, right? So I don't know if it has a specific role, but I think that often thought leaders, the work that they do, they take really seriously, right? And they go about it and practice it in, in, in a serious way. But uh, integrating a little bit of humor and relief, uh, I think, helps get people to connect. And, you know, if you, if you want to have a separation of, hey, I'm up here, I'm the smartest guy or gal in the room, I'm going to preach to you about whatever, because I've written seven books on it. There's a distance here, but we can all laugh or joke or whatever about things, not at someone's expense. That's mean, you know, but I mean, I think humor, I, I think humor is also another way that intellect shines through, right? Like, like if you think about some of the greatest comedians, not the stunt comedians or the, the crude comedians or whatever, they're really freaking smart, you know? So I, I have a, a kind of weird question. People in, in business, regardless of what business they're in, have largely, um, if we can categorize their objectives in one of two ways, they either want impact, so they want to change the world and make the world a better place, or they're chasing money. Most thought leaders have the impact side pretty much sorted out, but how do you get the money side of that equation into a thought leader. So how does a thought leader actually make money? Yeah, so I, I, I'll, I'll push on that a little bit. So I think there are, from my experience, three different things that drive thought leaders. And it's not one is better than the other. It's a pie chart. So everybody's mm -hmm. is different. Money is one. So we have clients that money is critically important. They want to make 10 times more this year than last year. We have other clients that have made more money than five generations can spend. So they don't mm -hmm. care about it in the same way. But it is a scorekeeper and shows the value that they're putting out in the marketplace. So money is one. Ego is another. Ego gets a bad rap. Bad ego is narcissism. Healthy ego, being honest about it, saying, what are my intrinsic motivations? I love getting an email from someone that said, hey, I saw you speak and it got me thinking or read this piece that you did and I agree or disagree, but here's how I think about it or whatever it was, read your book and it changed my world. Cool. That's ego. And then, and I think I, instead of impact, I use sort of evangelism, but not in the religious perspective. One of the reasons they're on the planet is to unleash the power of these ideas that they've discovered that have helped them and those around them. So I think it's really about, let's look at your pie chart. And by the way, that's dynamic. That might change. You know, if, if you think you want to make triple the money by the time you get there, you might say, okay, great. Now I'm cool. Now I want to go into the impact mode. But I, you know, a lot of folks want to be evangelists, but you know, we have this bad habit of wanting to eat three times a day, right? So how do you do that? So I think it's being understanding where you are and having a strategy that aligns with that. Do you find, Peter, that legacy is a big part of that as well? Does that kind of yeah. wrap all those three together? Well, I think the legacy depends on where they are. So we're, we're very fortunate at my firm that a lot of the folks that we work with have been incredibly successful in multiple domains. And oftentimes the thought leadership is not the last chapter, but, but a, another chapter on top of many, many, many successful chapters. And it is really about the legacy. It's really about how do I leave this work behind in a way that's not based on my personality long after I'm gone. And if you think about, you know, I've got surrounded by, you know, books all over the place here because it's what I do. Some of the greatest books out there, um, uh, and I'm talking business books, not, not you know, traditional fiction. Um, the authors are no longer with us, but their ideas are. And that's really cool. So 
If I were to ask you, Peter, to kind of huckleberry fin yourself and stand up in the balcony while people are eulogizing you after you die. Oh, uh, I thought you were going to ask me to get people to paint my fence and pay me to do it because that would be easier. But, okay, the other I think huck- Tom Sawyer snookered oh, huckleberry Tom- fin. Uh, That'd be Tom Sawyering. That'd be t- okay. <laughs> <But> no, <I'm- laughs> so I have British, but, Australian, and Tom Sawyer huck fin dyslexia today. It's a, it's a new thing. I like that. I like that. So the Huckleberry Finn scenario where he's sitting up in the balcony and people are talking about how great he was. What are folks going to say about you in 20 years or 50 years or, or, I mean, I don't know. It might be, a, it might be a very short ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I would hope that, I mean, it depends who we're talking to, right? Many would say, wow, really, you know, he and his team really helped me unleash the power of my ideas, my ideas and get them out to more people and have more impact. Uh, we had fun in the process. We made money. We hit our objectives, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I learned a lot from his perspective was, you know, challenged me to take it in a different place. I mean, those sort of things. But it might be a very short service. So. That would be, well, so that feels more like the corporate ceremony that people have thinking about you. Oh, but you I'm, I'm talking watch. about like the actual <laughs> Huckleberry Finn, like witnessing people crying and weeping and talking about you. What's your, like your, your impact? Like, on on folks around you ah oh so the real world not like the corporate <laughs> yeah, not, the real, not my day job oh world. that right <laughs> maybe actually you know what that's an interesting concept maybe we should start to have sort of corporate funerals and real funerals like the resume <laughs> yes. version of your funeral like here's you know he, he gave good powerpoint like like a fantastic powerpoint whatever yeah i mean I, I i think the real one would be trustworthy loyal fun sense of humor uh, you know, sort of those sort of things. Smart, maybe, maybe not that smart. <laughs> well, thank you so much for uh, putting up with us uh, for this time, Peter. Uh, it's been a thank real you for planning my to... funeral. It was it's a very depressing <laughs> way to you know start my day. Thank you. I'll be sure to invite you or have someone invite you on my behalf. And I expect you in the balcony. I'm thinking that ceramic dog behind you. Would... Never mind. <laughs> I thought it'd get go. even darker. <laughs> <laughs> For you go dark very quickly. <laughs> right, right. You're yeah. right. You're kind of a morbid vegetarian. You're mourning yeah. the loss of broccoli. What's up with that? Right. I actually have a really old butcher block in the living room, which is kind of dark and, and weird. It, it's got to be a 200-year-old butcher block with all kinds of blood soaked into it. So nice. And, and what do you like, slice carrots on it? Like, how does that work? No, I just have a nice candle on there, you know, just, oh. uh, just to oh, relax just, and yeah. you know, put a book on. Bring the candle to the balcony. I think it'll be a set, a set of mood, a little bit of an ambiance there. I like that. Very good. So, Peter, just before we go, who would you like to talk to today, dead or alive? Spend half an hour talking with. Could and some of them be alive and I'd prefer they'd be dead? Yes, or- that'd be perfect too. <laughs> That'd be, that, in fact, that'd be more interesting. So let's do that. Who would you like to talk to today and wish they were dead? And how can they contact you outside of science? So who? So let's go back to who would I talk to dead or alive? You know, that's you know that's one of those questions that um, is is a good dinner party question with a few glasses of of wine of like what would be what would you like to have Winston Churchill, you know, and and Gandhi, you know, those two might might not get along. Um, some of the great orators, some of the great thinkers, the, the Steve Jobs, the Tom Edison, the Thomas Edison's, uh, you know, Hemingway would be fun to have in the mix. And, you know, he might be wrestling Churchill for the liquor. Um, I don't know. I think there's just so many voices just, yeah. sort of in the head that you'd say, wow, what would, what would a night like that be? 
Yeah. Yeah, it'd be awesome. But maybe we just got our timing right on this call and we should have had this later in the day after a few glasses of wine. Exactly. That's very true. Yeah. So without Churchill and Hemingway wrestling in the corner, or maybe they are kind of at the same time, who would you like to contact you and where can they find you? Uh, who would I like to contact me? I, I want to try and understand. Yeah, who would you like to reach out to you um, and where can they find you? Yeah, in my world, it's it's authors, speakers, thought leaders, consultants, academics, CEOs, and people that aspire to be. So, And it could also be entrepreneurs that are looking to potentially think about how they use thought leadership to stand out from their competition, attract new clients, and build their brands. Best way to find me is our website is thoughtleadershipleverage.com, where you can email me directly at peter at thoughtleadershipleverage.com. We're obviously on you know, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, all the, all the usual places you'll find us. So I want to leave our listeners with that mental image of Peter wrestling with <laughs> Churchill and Hemingway and then having a nice smoke afterwards. Yeah, that's, that that's would be a, a great either. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. This has been fun. <laughs>Well, thank you, Peter. It was great hearing about your ideas of thought leadership and your ideas of steak and sizzle. Wow, what a great visual about what is real and what is just smoke and mirrors and what is true thought leadership and what to stay away from. I totally love that. I think um, we really fleshed things out with you. <laughs> Sorry, my phone is blinking and telling me to stop with bad puns. But... The steak thing with the butter, that was great. I, yeah, it was really fun to go to bat with you and, and kind of spar back and forth with, you know, quips and, and fun anecdotes and all that. And um, you really are a thought leader, so you don't have to say it yourself. It was really fun to, you know, hear you speak and opine about this important topic. So I just realized something, Kent. Fun anecdotes are the antidote to boring podcasts. If you want to find out more about the wonks behind the wonks, the thought leaders behind the thought leaders, I think we fancy ourselves to be something like that as well. Yeah, but we don't sort of say very much apart from the fact that we are the Thought Partner Group. And if you go to our website, thoughtpartnergroup.com, there's a little button where you can do a free assessment. But coming soon, I want you guys to listen to this and take note. Coming soon. I have to say a funny joke before you do the coming soon part. So if, if you go to Thought Leader Group and fill out the assessment at the top, then you'll be a grouper too. I was just thinking about groupers with the funny eyeballs. Okay. Okay, that, that's totally put me off my spiel. But what I was saying, coming soon, we're doing something super crazy. It is crazy. Keep your eyes open for crazy MBA. Now, there's something for you to look forward to. Crazy. You can have an MBA, and you can have an MBA. And you can have an MBA, and you can have an MBA, and it's all that stuff. Crazy MBA is coming soon. Keep quiet. Don't tell anybody.